Wow, I updated my phone. I fucking hate change. <sighs> uh, just, just, just click sleep. Sleep. And then that should come up and say sleep on there, and then you don't get notifications. No, it doesn't. Just all off. Just die. Oh, there you go. Do not disturb. There it is. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Zip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith, joined in the studio by Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. Hello, it's great to be back on another episode of the Iron Duke podcast and what a week it has been. The Massive deck of, week. The deck of cards of cabinet has been thrown up and a couple have fell off the side and gone down the side of the couch not to be found again and the rest have been reshuffled. So a big cabinet reshuffle. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what's just happened. And there's some ups and downs in that. There's some peaks and pits inside the cabinet reshuffle. So today's conversation will focus on that cabinet reshuffle and some of the spin-off implications. I think that's what we've got time to talk about today, isn't it? Yeah, sounds good to me. Look, let's start at the top. I'm also announcing that Trevor Mallard. Trevor Mallard. Trevor Mallard, our hapless speaker. Speaker Mallard. Trevor Mallard. Trevor Mallard will step down as speaker in mid-August. Speaker Trevor Mallard. Finally leaves the big house. The duck has left the building. The duck has flown. Yep, flown the coop. Flown the coop. Yep, left the pond. For, for his big cushy appointment, which we kind of know is he'll become the ambassador to Ireland. This is important to understand because this is essentially the timeline that the Prime Minister has been working towards. As people have continued to call for his resignation, she knew that this opportunity was coming up. And when I think about it, she looked at Mallard and thought, well, why rip the Band-Aid off and cause, you know, a media storm? when I can wait for the Band-Aid to fall off and move to Ireland. Yeah, he first entered Parliament in the 1980s. I know, he's been in Parliament longer than you've been alive. I know, and that's saying something, Maddie, because you're looking at me like I'm an old man, so <laughs> that means a lot. There it is. So Mallard's 34 years of experience uh, goes, it feels like it's reached the point where the retirement was always coming. Losing a speaker midway through your second term, it's neither here nor there, it's kind mm. of, it's, it's fair enough, but for me, what got me was that 8am caucus meeting on the Monday, and then we're having a press conference post-cab and it all came announced. You know, it really felt like kind of a cavalcade of announcements. And oh, by the way, the speaker's left. It was really poorly stage managed. It wasn't even hinted at last week. The usual rhythm of what happens, right? You kind of announce yeah. that there's going to be a reshuffle on Monday. You build a bit of expectation about it. But it did feel quite sudden. Now, Mallard is a colourful character. Mm. He's got his detractors and his supporters on both sides of the house. He's had a very interesting approach to question time and a very interesting approach to the way he runs things on the precinct. He's being replaced by Adrian Rafe from the Titai Hauru electorate. Which is Taranaki King Country Māori electorate. And you're right, that's a really interesting one for a multitude of reasons. He will be only the second Māori speaker. And also, moving on to the list, creates a really, really, really interesting electorate battle locally. Yeah, well, he's the least experienced speaker we're going to ever have. He's already got the support of the opposition, which yep. is a great starting point. That contest for his electorate is going to be really interesting in that Debbie Narua Packer is the current Māori MP there and she's running a really strong campaign. So the chance that you know he was probably going to lose that electorate anyway were already quite high. So this is a little bit of an opportunity for them to save face. Will they helicopter in kind of a celebrity Māori candidate? That's probably going to be their only opportunity to hold that seat. I think we should talk about the other big resignation 
which is the supposed trigger mm. for the, the reshuffle. Minister Chris Farfoy has decided to leave Parliament. The departure from politics entirely of Chris Farfoy, the former broadcaster. Chris is an interesting one, isn't he? Because last term, he was this rising star. You know, the Nats had good things to say about him. He was well-perceived by officials across all of his portfolios. And that star really burnt out this term. I kind of look at it and say, was he a rising star or was he just a nice guy? Was he just a competent guy? It turned out not to be, but he was a nice guy. And people, as you said, from both sides of politics, quite like dealing with Chris and his kind of constructive way of doing things. Now, however, he had three portfolios that each of them had controversies within them. So you had broadcasting, a really poorly explained merger of TVNZ, RNZ. No one, whether it be Claire Curran or Chris Farfoy, and I doubt Willie Jackson, the new broadcasting minister, is going to make a good case for that merger. So he was not kind of doing a great job in broadcasting. Then came immigration, one of the portfolios that ends many, many, many ministers' careers. That's kind of having a very difficult time and has been over the last couple of years. And then, of course, justice. And that is conflated with the gang issues and ram raids and kind of the slowness of the system. And we haven't yet completely ruled out the three strikes law because we haven't passed the legislation that's required to do so. Even in media interviews, Chris said, oh, look, the fact that I'm not a lawyer has made it a bit difficult to do the justice stuff. Let's go to our peaks, really, which are probably the people that that pick up those portfolios. In this regard, I'm promoting Kitty Allen into the justice portfolio, and she also picks up a new associate finance role. The first one for me is Kitty Allen. She, again, another rising star. The Prime Minister just, like, gushes about her in media conferences. Again, also pretty well perceived by her officials. Difference between her and Farfoy, she is a lawyer, which I think as she takes on that justice portfolio, she'll bring a lot of that experience and a lot of her mana to that portfolio. She is a genuine rising star of this government, and many are touting her as a future leader as well. Which is probably why she's got that associate finance portfolio. This is a really common technique used by governments in their succession planning, is that they want to give their rising stars a little bit of experience behind the books, so they'll give them an associate finance portfolio just to test them out, just to see how they go. Kerry Allen was the conservation minister. That portfolio goes to one of the pits. I've also made the decision to change Portal Williams out of her police portfolio. Portal is a capable minister and retains my confidence. That's why she is still in Cabinet. But change is required. Portal picks up conservation and disability issues. Portal Williams, one of the ministers who has been on the receiving end of the reshuffle. Portal lost both her main portfolios. Portal lost police for many obvious reasons, if you've ever seen a Herald headline recently, and also the building and construction challenge. So if you've ever tried to get a little bit of jib lately, that's Poto's problem. So building instruction obviously sits quite separately to housing, and this is one of the places that I think the Prime Minister's been incredibly strategic. As she's looked at her cabinet and thought, I don't actually have a huge amount of talent here to pull on. I'm going to consolidate a lot of these portfolios in and around kind of challenge-based areas. One further change is housing, where I'm bringing in public housing, building and construction under Megan Woods. Building and construction goes to Ms Fixit, Megan Woods, who already has that housing portfolio, and I hope that she can get that under control. And Poto's other large portfolio goes to Mr Fixit. Chris Hipkins takes over as Minister of Police. Chris already has that education portfolio there. So that's the lens that, you know, the Prime Minister said that he's going to to attack that portfolio through. Whether or not this is going to work, whether or not we're going to burn out the two safest pairs of hands in the Cabinet, I'm unsure. But that's where they've landed. So generally speaking, this reshuffle is 
about political management rather than any public policy change or public policy stewardship. It's very much about saying, okay, where are my problem areas? How can I give them to my firefighters who mm. put out the fire of the smouldering wreck that is the police portfolio? There's been a number of cartoons about this in the major papers. There's been a number of columns written about this. Essentially, they're just trying to manage their political risk and manage it out. Potter Williams became associated with political risk, losing both her major portfolios. And I am perplexed as how she has still mm -hmm. remained on the front bench at number 10 in Cabinet. I mean, for goodness sake, she's ranked higher than the Minister of Economic Development, Stuart Nash. Where you're putting the portfolios is bizarre. Conservation and disability issues are not what I would consider front bench portfolios. Hey. Hey, no, I'm just being political here for a second. Gosh, you know, in our little political chat here. And to have her stay at her position at number 10 and keeping those relatively junior portfolios, mm. I think it's a bit of a disservice. And I think it doesn't actually send a message. You know, sometimes it's not about the money, it's about sending a message. Yeah, but and I don't think that sends a message. We do know that she's a close friend of Ardern's. Like, they're buddies. That's disastrous, frankly. Yep. But, but that's how these games play out. And I do copped a bit of the flack in that she said she appointed Williams on the basis of her skill set at that time, right? When the law and order environment was incredibly different. She was staring down the barrel of a review into sexual harassment within the police force. And Williams was an expert in sexual and family violence, you know? So it made sense at the time. But I think Ardern had to swallow a bit of her pride. And she didn't outwardly say, I got it wrong. But the saying, all right, well, the narrative has changed. You know, there's been a shift here. Let's give it to the guy who I know is great at comms. Chris Hipkins, I think he's the most capable minister that the, the government has got. But I think he would be challenged by a police portfolio simply because the other portfolios he's had, COVID-19 especially, and education as well, uh, can be command and control. You can run mm. those from the beehive. You can say, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. officials, do this. Whereas the police, you can't interfere operationally. You can pull the funding levers and some of the policy mm. settings in the justice system behind it. You cannot tell the police what to run their operations on or what to focus on. And so... Hipkins has got to manage that difference. I think he'll do a good yeah, job. He but polls, I think he will he polls really well with the public. Like that's the thing there. Like he's good at getting hard messages across. He knows his lines. That's because he looks the same in his year six photo as he does today. Another pit actually relates to Hipkins there as well, alongside Minister Woods. There has been one telltale sign that the Prime Minister is committed to fixing this and to changing the narrative, and that's that Hipkins had to lose a lot of the education portfolio and Woods had to lose the research, science and innovation portfolio to make room to fix these problems. And those of us close to the Beltway know those are the two largest areas of passion and interest for those two ministers. It's like throwing away your favourite toys because mum wants you to play with something more sustainable. That's right. Your old plastic action man goes out for a bamboo version of Barbie. Uh, yeah. That's that's very much what's going on here. Bamboo Barbie! Bamboo Barbie, yep, it's the future. If you don't hear from us again, we, yep. we're we in an incubator, we're in a tech startup. Zuru, we've got an idea for you. <laughs> uh, so that's a really good point. You know, Megan Woods and the research, science and innovation portfolio, you know, and she's given that to... Dr Aisha Vera will pick up the responsibility for our ongoing COVID-19 response. She also picks up research, science and innovation. It'll be an interesting one. Viral isn't perceived incredibly well by officials and it is because I think she was helicoptered straight into cabinet from scientist land. She doesn't understand how bureaucracy works. She doesn't understand that, oh, when we're making legislation in and around COVID-19 restrictions, consider the Bill of Rights. That's one area where she rubbed up against officials the wrong way. So it'll be interesting to see how she takes on that portfolio. For me, Hipkins giving that portfolio up really signalled the end of the pandemic. It, it isn't a political... 
issue for the government anymore. And the reason is because it isn't polling as a political issue in the public. No, that's right. I mean, we know that cost of living is the, and housing are the number one and two uh, concerns for New Zealanders and healthcare has moved uh, significantly down the rankings. I think uh, Aisha Viral being parachuted into Cabinet straight away as an epidemiologist, as that expert, was challenging for a lot of the officials who were used to being the experts and all of a sudden they Mm. were talking to an expert and to your point, that ended up in a conversation that didn't have the wider political considerations that a a trained and tuned politician would have. I think Aisha in her research science and innovation role is actually quite a good move because that is a bit more technocratic. That's how do you fund the system, Mm. what levers do you pull, do you have grants, do you have tax credits, how do you encourage businesses to do that? I think she'll go okay there. The business question for her will be challenging, how do I interact with business? Mm. It was always hard for, for Megan Woods, but I think Asia will, will do a good job in that. One of the other ministers that um, has taken the load off Chris Hipkins in the education portfolio is Jan Tanetti. To free him up for this area of government focus, a significant part of his education portfolio will move to Jan Tanetti, who has played an excellent role as associate education, where she brings decades of experience as a teacher and a school principal. Did anyone even know she was a minister? Well, she was Minister for Internal Affairs, which, you know, what does that really She's do? got an incredibly Passports low... Passports and child-born internal affairs. Yeah, she's got a really low profile. She is a former principal, principal yeah. though. So she'll take on the education brackets operation, so like the, the nitty-gritty, the schools with leaky roofs stuff, which, you know, do take up a lot of the minister's time. I just hope that, you know, Hipkins will still get that opportunity to kind of steer education policy. Settings. Yeah, nice. I, I think he will. But she's definitely been an up-and-comer. I see good things, and I hear good things. She's list MP based in Tauranga. She's about to have it handed to her by another pale-style male up there. So this is probably welcome. That electorate would vote for a blue fence post. Come on. We're labelling a lot of people as up-and-comers. There's not a lot of room at the top here. We're starting to get a pretty fat top. Speaking of people that are uh, rising in the rankings... uh, You're going to say Michael Wood, aren't you? Maybe I am. Also taking on greater responsibilities will be Michael Wood who takes on immigration. Interesting. Sure, he picks up the immigration portfolio, which I think is actually a really good appointment because it puts the workplace relations, not the workplace relationships, looking at you, Ian Lees Galloway, portfolios together with immigration. Yeah, another good consolidation. Exactly. That makes a total sense when in terms of labour supply. My concern is that we are in a period of labour shortages and labour shortages generally push up the wages of workers, which Michael Wood thinks is a great thing. Not great for productivity, but it's great for workers' wages. So why would he make uh, your immigration requirements easier for business? It's almost like he came out of the unions. What? <laughs> exactly, right? And that's, that's the ideological lens that he brings to this portfolio. Look, my issue with him is entirely superficial. Uh, I think he looks like a politician out of The Simpsons. Yeah, side of Simon Bridges. The, it's the blue suit, red tie, slicked back hair. Uh, look, he's a consummate politician. Yeah. And many in Labour have labelled him as a potential future leader. He's got a very good style to him. He can turn up and talk very well. I think he's quite articulate. I've also made the decision to move Priyanka Radhikrishnan into Cabinet, retaining all her current portfolios and picking up associate workplace relations with a focus on migrant exploitation. Which is something that, you know, if Labor get a third term, we'll we'll definitely hear a lot more about and officials are doing a heap of work in the space in the background. So she will have her work cut out for her there. My one concern with Priyanka. I've seen her at things. I know a bit about how she's worked in the community and voluntary sector. She doesn't do much. And when she does say something, it's kind of like, really, did you read your briefing notes? And so I'm a little bit worried that putting her in Cabinet may set her up to fail. Whereas someone I would have actually quite liked to see in Cabinet, who's been loaded with an arsenal of associate ministerial portfolios, is um, your mate Kieran. Kieran McAnulty, 
becomes a minister outside of cabinet. He will have an associate transport delegation, the associate local government, emergency management, racing deputy leader of the house. Just this mixing pot. Like he becomes a Frankenstein-esque minister with a big like rural stamp on his large forehead, right? The tractor minister, the EV tractor minister, here he is. As a rural MP, wired up a based, not a huge margin in his seat there. They've kind of propelled him into a, a role as a minister outside a cabinet. They've given him the most eclectic array of portfolios. He has picked up the associate transport role for regional transport, associate local government, racing, national emergency management, as well as deputy leader of the house. So that's a huge portfolio. He essentially becomes the quasi-minister for rural communities because that is a part of the electorate that this cabinet have well and truly lost. What I think is going to happen is Kieran is going to be the scapegoat for Three Waters. Wow, that's a that's a reckon. That is a reckon right here. Is that because the rural communities aren't uh, a big fan of the three waters? Have you driven through rural communities lately? The th- anti three water signs generally are, fly over them. I'm I'm in the car. I'm making emissions. You're making emissions too. Just I'm not talking about. I'm not making emissions. I'm going on a mission. Kieran has a really interesting style. You know, famously was driving around in that kind of beat up old nineties Hilux. I think he's been hard done by. If I'm going to be completely honest, I think having um, Priyanka put above him into cabinet. And Kieran, who, despite being yeah, with a caucus of 60-odd, which is insane, not being promoted into cabinet and receiving quite a hefty portfolio, I think is actually, he's been hard done by. I would have quite liked to see him recognised for his good work. Yeah. It's all very kind, right? So, like, yeah. it was Pianka was next cab off the rank, so she comes up into cabinet, right? Why don't we see a, a cabinet that's appointed based on the fact that, okay, well, you're working bloody hard. So, you know, someone like Kieran who's doing a huge amount of work in his electorate to kind of hold on to that, such a safe blue seat, to hold on to that electorate, and who we know is the fresh face of the Labour Party. He's a likeable, lovable rogue. Why would you not utilise that talent? But instead, again, it's the nicely, nicely. It's the Poto Keeps number 10. It's the Chris Farfoy and Trevor Mallard get these lush leaving parties. It's the nicely, nicely that, that we've come to expect of the Ardern administration. She's hinted at a reshuffle again early in 2023, early in election year, and that would need to be more of the just more of the reshuffle that you're talking about. That would need to put the best and most competent human beings in front of the electorate for 2023 to show this is not a tired government. This is a government that is going to take New Zealand forward, that is going to nail our major reforms, of which there are many. She's got to do that next year because I totally agree that this reshuffle did feel, it was quite major, you know, 13-odd portfolios changing hands, you Mm. lost two MPs, movements in and out of Cabinet. It didn't feel like an election year or a kind of government refresh. It just felt this is the political issue of the day, I need to do that, and next year, come next year, that reshuffle then has got to be really major. She's got to have some bloody hard conversations if we are going to see that reshuffle. She's got to talk to some of the old guard, the likes of David Parker, Stuart Nash, to say, hey, look, what are your plans? Because we need to make room for the likes of Alan, for the likes of McAnulty, for the likes of Wood to come up onto the front bench. And they, they have a huge amount of support for the Prime Minister. And she isn't a leader who is at risk of promoting talent and then seeing that talent kind of stab her in the back. No, no, there's none of that. There's none of that risk in the Labour Party. Next year has got to be uh, the the big uh, the big reshuffle. There's got to be a promotion of talent, and we've also got to figure out who in that massive caucus of sixty three is worth their weight in gold and is going to stick around. Because there's going to be a lot of them that also lose their seats naturally. That's just natural political cycles. But who really, really, really wants to stick around? And that's where your list comes in. Yep, totally agree. I'm looking forward to next year. So am I. It's going to be absolutely riveting election, especially as the polls get really, really close. 
Well, listeners, keep watching them closely. And until then, we'll we'll see see you next week. week.